and thanks to my pastor for allowing me to teach, preach, speak to you this morning. Um, for this moment, why don't we just take a look at our neighbor and just greet them, say hello, tell them you're happy to be here, and greet them. Amen. Worship team, thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Amen. Yes, he is. I wonder if before I go to scripture and before we, we start the, the, the lesson, uh, I wonder if we could all just pray together. Uh, God, that we may receive your word this morning. Lord, lead us into a an environment we can be receptive, Lord, where we can leave this place transformed, God. Deposit your word in our hearts, Jesus. Allow our minds to understand your word, God. Touch our hearts this morning, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us the privilege to be here this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. This, this morning, I want to do things just a little bit different. I hope that's okay. So I want to start by reading you this story, uh, and then I'll read scripture, and uh, I think you'll understand exactly where in the Bible I'm reading as I read this story. The scene opens with a tranquil view of the Sea of Tiberias. Bathed in the soft light of dawn, the sound of gentle waves lapping against the shore set a serene atmosphere. Don't you wish you were just there? The sound, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and the sons of Zebedee are gathered by the shore. Their faces etched with exhaustion from a long night of fruitless fishing. Two other disciples stand nearby, their expressions mirroring the disappointment of the group. As the group discusses their lack of success, Simon Peter, with a determined look in his eyes, declares his intention to go fishing. The others, weary but loyal, agree to join him. Together they board a small fishing boat and set out to the shimmering waters. Hours pass, but the fish remain elusive. Frustration mounts as their efforts yield no results. The disciples exchange weary glances, their spirits sinking with each passing moment. As first light of dawn breaks over the horizon, a figure appears in the shore, barely discernible in the early morning mist. The disciples, consumed by their task, do not immediately recognize the stranger. The mysterious figure calls out to them, asking if they have caught any fish. Simon Peter, his voice tinged with weariness, responds a dejected no. Undeterred, the stranger instructs them to cast their nets on the right side of the boat. Though skeptical, the disciples comply. Their actions fueled by a glimmer of hope. As the net plunges into the water, a sense of anticipation fills the air. Moments later, the water begins to churn, and the net grows heavy with an abundance of fish. The disciples stare in awe as they struggle to haul in the miraculous catch. The sheer weight of 
They're straining muscles. Realization dawns on the disciples whom Jesus loved. And he whispers to Peter, it's the Lord. With a surge of excitement, Peter, overcome by emotion, hastily clothes himself and plunges into the water, eager to reach the shore where Jesus stands. The disciples, their boat laden with fish, reach the shore where Jesus awaits them. A fire of coals crackled nearby, and a tantalizing aroma of fish and bread fills the air. Jesus invites them to bring some of the fish they have caught, cementing the miracle as a shared experience. As they gather around the fire, Jesus serves them bread and fish, his presence filling them with a profound sense of peace and joy. The disciples humbled by the miraculous catch and the presence of their risen Lord share a meal with him, their hearts overflowing with gratitude and awe. As the sun rises higher in the sky, casting its warm glow over the sea, the disciples sit in quiet contemplation. Their fellowship with Jesus, a memory they will carry with them forever. Capturing the beauty of a tranquil scene, a poignant reminder of the miraculous power of faith and enduring love of their Savior. How many of us hearing that story pictured ourselves as one of those disciples? Just for a second, if for a moment you felt the want and the need to be there with Jesus. If for a moment you've shared that experience with those miracles. There are many lessons that can be taught, learned from this story. But today I want to preach or teach or talk to you from this title, Casting Hope. Casting Hope. If you can open your Bibles to John 21, 14. The Word of God says this, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples. Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into the ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. We can continue to read on in the Bible and we can see the story as it was depicted in those Wonderful written words, not written by me. I'm not that good. But we can really start to put our minds in our place and really connect with Peter and those disciples that night. And if we can start to reflect, there are three things that I would like for us to learn from that story. Because it is a story. It's something that took place. It's a historical event. The Bible later on will read, it goes so much far into detail that it tells us how many fish they actually caught. And the three things that I would like for us to learn today, or at least review and go over is, one is our persistent faith. Persistent faith. The other is recognition of Jesus, or recognizing Jesus. And least, but not last, is obedience. When we read John 21, those first couple of verses, 
we see the disciples, they're doing what they, that's their job, right? They went out fishing, and we're in the part of the story where Jesus had already risen. He had already uh, come from the dead, and this was his third time appearing to the disciples. So we know that the disciples know who Jesus is, right? They've, they've shared different and many meals with Jesus. They've seen him be crucified. They've seen him rise from the dead. But in this very night where they're fishing and they're doing their labor, uh, I don't know how many of you have gone fishing, but going fishing and not catching any fish is no fun for anyone. Not fun for the wife that you told her, I'm going to go get a big fish. Because you got to come back and tell her, I didn't catch anything. It's no fun when you're out there because you're like, I've been out here two, three hours and I've caught nothing. So obviously, all of these disciples, they, that's, their, that's the way they make their living, right? They, they fish, that's their food, it's their income. For them to be there all out there all night and, and for them to have that burden of not having anything. And it's all of them together. Church, how many times have you felt like you were doing something that you were supposed to be doing, that was your calling to do, that was meant for you to do, and you felt like you were going nowhere? How many times did you feel like you were just hitting a brick wall? And you're like, but God, you called me to do this very thing that I'm doing. I'm telling people exactly what you want me to tell, but I don't see any results. That night was a fruitless night, even for the disciples. They caught no fish. And they're fishermen. That's what they do. If you send me out to catch fish and I don't catch any fish, you're not going to be surprised. That's not what I do. I have to pay somebody, and I have, to take me out to the water and help me fish and catch some. I can't really do it on my own. I try, and I've done it. I've caught some fish, but I'm not an expert on it. There are some of you here today that uh, are probably better than me. But I know there are certain things that I am good at. There are certain things that you are good at. You are perhaps very uh, natural at. My wife and I, we were having a discussion. I'm like, there are certain things that are just come natural to me. There are certain things that come natural to you. And we poke fun at each other of what those things are. But in reality, that's just the way God made us, right? There are certain things that make you strong. There are certain things that you are weak in. But as a body of Christ, we utilize and leverage each of our strengths for the kingdom of God. But I know I am not the only one who have felt at one point, where are my fruits? Where are my fruits? I am working hard. I'm, I'm trying for Jesus. I'm praying. I'm committed. But where are my fruits? I can't be the only one, church. Come on. Let's be a little real this morning. However, there's a difference between not having fruits and stopping there and do what these disciples did. They didn't stop fishing. They didn't catch any fish that moment, but they continued on because they knew this is what they were called for. We also read when Jesus tells them that they're not going to be just any fishermen, but they're going to be fisher of men, right? So obviously God changes their role, equips them with what they need. But for this moment, if we just look at what they're doing, they didn't stop. They started that night. They didn't catch anything. Now it's the morning, and you're saying, are we going to do this again? Are we going to do another day 
of more fishing of what we've been doing all night. I can't imagine, and this is just my opinion, I can't imagine that they had not also tossed the net to the other side of the boat. I can't imagine that they were only tossing the net to the one side. And the other day, just so happened that Jesus told. No, I think that what happened was they were just fishing. And they weren't looking at which side they were doing. And they were just tossing their net. But there's a difference that transpired when Jesus spoke to them. So persistent faith allows us to continue to do what God has called us to do, even though we don't see any results. The other day, John spoke to us about we don't know the impact of our words fully, the impact of our words have on people because we don't see and we don't live with them every day. And that was profound. That allowed me to think, man, if I just speak positive words to somebody, I may change their life. But the glory isn't for me. I don't have to know that I changed their life. The glory is for God. All I had to do was input my positive words on them. And I think we can all learn that persistent faith is just that. When we follow Christ without sometimes seeing results, but our faith is deposited on the one who already won the victory. Luke 18, 1 if you have your Bibles open, you're welcome to turn there. If not, they're going to put them on the screen. Luke 18.1 says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Verse 2, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. We know people like that who don't care about God, who don't really have the fear, the respect, the honor. They're just worldly people. You and I are going to run into those kind of people. The Bible tells us they're going to do. Verse 3. And there was a widow in that city. Not only was there somebody in that city, but there was somebody who was already, quote, unquote, alone. Somebody who had already had a difficulty. We don't know the full story, but there was a widow. There was somebody that had a challenge. And she came unto him saying, avenge me of mine adversary. And we know the story. Uh, we don't really have to go and read it all. But we know that she did not give up. She kept knocking at the door of the judge. She kept going after. Even if the judge dismissed her, she said, I'm going to continue to go look after what is mine. I need my judgment. I need my avenge. I need you to be a judge. And that woman, that widow, could have given up on the first try. And he would not for a while, but after he said with himself, though I fear not God, nor regard for man, verse 5, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Sometimes, sometimes you just need to trouble people and just do it in a good heart. And if you let God take over your actions and just follow Christ, it's not us. It's not us. It's Christ. Amen. So this widow, <laughs> I always find this verse sometimes just a little, because um, I think sometimes God has a sense of humor. 
And he shows us, yeah, because this widow troubleth me, like you're annoying, I don't want to deal with you anymore. Lester continued, she was just always there. She was not going to be going away. I'm going to give her into it. What that judge probably didn't realize is that it was probably God moving on his heart. Sometimes those people that have just a hard heart, they think it's them. Like, okay, finally, I'm just going to give in to you. And, and I'm, it's not them. It's Jesus softening their heart. It's Jesus touching their lives. Why? Because you and I are children of God, the old king. So if we continue to read on in John 21, verse 4, but when the morning was now come, Jesus stood at the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, children, have ye any meat? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. The next point talks about recognizing Jesus. Those disciples knew who Jesus was. They were with him. They were close. I'm sure that at some point they could recognize who Jesus was. But the Bible tells us that these men were doing what they were supposed to. Sometimes, they, sometimes church, we get preoccupied in doing what we think we're supposed to be doing. We forget to just look up and recognize that the one we're doing all this for is Jesus. Sometimes we are just so into what we're doing that we don't realize Jesus is right there and saying, are you looking up? Are you seeing what I'm trying to tell you? Just look up at me. Just recognize that I'm here. The disciples, having a relationship with him, having had dinners with him, having had shared meals, broken bread, they didn't recognize the man ashore. And maybe they were far, but really, later on in the Bible, it tells us they were only about 100 yards away from where Jesus was to where they were fishing. So they weren't out in the sea, in the deep sea. They were just out in the bay. And they didn't recognize it was him. But there's a reason for all of this. Jesus wanted to, in this moment, teach them a lesson. If we look at Luke 24, 13, 35. I'm sorry, Luke 24. Is that what I said? Luke 24, 13 says this. 24, 13. Good, you're listening. <laughs> and behold, two of them went the same day to the village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore four longs. And they talked together in all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they con communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not knowing the things which are come to pass? These two are walking, and they're, they're scolding the stranger, saying, Who, Don't you know what's happened in the city? Don't you know what's happened? They don't realize that the one who are telling them this is the very one of which these events they were talking about. There is an importance in knowing who Jesus is. Because if you are in the midst of a challenge, if you are working on something and you feel like you're just not breaking through, 
Jesus may be right there with them, but if you don't recognize that, you're going to continue down that path. You just need to understand who Jesus is. Well, how do you recognize who Jesus is? Well, you have to spend time with him. You have to get to know him. You have to understand his scripture. You have to understand his voice. You have to understand what it sounds like. The way he speaks to you is probably a little different than the way he speaks to me. The way he makes you understand a couple of things are different. I am a visual learner. I am an experienced learner. I have to sometimes just go through it for my brain to say, ah, that makes sense. You may be of the person who somebody just needs to deposit knowledge, and you're like, that makes complete sense. I'm going to understand that and move on. But if you don't have that language and your communication and your love language with Jesus, you may be battling something that you don't have to. Jesus was walking with them, and they didn't recognize him. They obviously didn't know what Jesus looked like. They didn't know his mannerisms. They didn't know the way he spoke. As we read on, and he said unto them, what things? It's almost like Jesus is setting them up for like, tell me more. And they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. They knew the name. A lot of us know Jesus' name. A lot of us know his name. The world knows his name. People know who Jesus is. But do they know him? Does Jesus live with them? Does he abide in their house? I heard the other day a preacher, an evangelist, and man, oh, this hit me. And it was like a ton of bricks. And I, I, I was like, ran to my wife and I showed her. I'm like, look, look, look what this evangelist is saying. This evangelist was talking and he was setting up a scenario of like, Imagine in a futuristic world where they would send people to jail because you're a Christian. Imagine being in the, in the witness stand or being up in the stand in, in the court and they're accusing you of being a Christian. Would they have enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Oh, would they be able to find scripture in your phone? If they searched for six months of search history on your phone, what would it be? What would it reveal to the world? What would it reveal to the judge? If they talked to your neighbors, what would your neighbors say? Would they find incriminating evidence of you being a Christian? Would your neighbors be able to testify against you saying, yes, they're always looking out for me. They're always praying for me. They're always talking about Jesus. Would they find evidence to convict you of being a Christian? We see this story where Daniel prayed. They found evidence because he continued to pray. And when I showed that to my wife, she's like, ooh, that's so profound. Sometimes, sometimes we don't realize we don't know Jesus the way we ought to know Jesus. And it doesn't take but one experience for you to say, I need Jesus. I need him in my life. I need him in my household. I need him in my, life's, in my kids' lives. I need more of Jesus. But I can't welcome Jesus if I don't have a relationship with him. You can't invite a stranger to your house if you don't know who they are. You at least know his name, but do you know what he loves? He loves obedience. He loves service to the world. When we serve the world, 
And I'm talking, not serving the world as partaking in the world, but I'm talking about like what we do, praise in the park, free box lunch, all of these things we do for community. We are serving God because we are serving those people. Jesus talked about when you feed the homeless, when you give alms to those, you are doing that to me. So Jesus said unto them, what things? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been, that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all of this, to the day is the third day since things were done, Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at this sepulcher. And where they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so, as the women had said. But him they saw not. Then he said unto them, here we go, Jesus is going to lay it down. Sometimes Jesus just comes out with truth. <laughs> That's the way he talks. Oh, fools and slow heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Sometimes, sometimes we are just that. We're just fools because we don't see what is clearly in front of us. Jesus, the Savior of the world, is right there, and they're talking about events that have caused. Sometimes Jesus is right there with me, and I'm worried about what's going on in other people's lives. Sometimes I'm just concerned about events and about what somebody did to somebody else, and Jesus is right there saying, I am the one that you ought to be having a conversation with. I am the one that you ought to be having a relationship with. But if we don't recognize Jesus... It's just going to fly by. Recognizing Jesus, right? And I said last but not least is obedience. If we look back at John 21 and we continue to read on, they cast their four, we're in verse six, six and a half. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, the disciples whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, it is the Lord. Isn't it amazing that God only has to do one thing, and immediately he shows you who he is. His power. The apostles and his disciples, they've seen power like this before. And they knew there's nobody else that can have this kind of power. There is nobody else that can just say words, and all of a sudden there is a miracle. So that, that much they knew, that much they realized. Therefore, now when Simon Peter had heard that it was the Lord, he girded himself fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked. He was working, right? He was doing his thing. He covered himself and did cast himself unto the sea. What amazes me in here is that Peter... When he recognized who Jesus was, everything else was a blur. He 
covered himself out of respect for Jesus, and he immediately threw himself towards Jesus. He, did, he realized in that moment that Jesus was the most important thing. It wasn't the fish. It wasn't what Jesus asked him to do, but it was Jesus. There is someone who is after Jesus' heart. There is someone that even though God is producing, he was still seeking after Jesus. He recognized he wanted to be with them. It didn't matter that they were performing a miracle. You could very easily say, but look, Lord, everything that I'm doing for you, look at everything because of what you asked me to do. Look at all the things that I'm doing. But God is saying, I want you to come near to me. Peter recognized that in that moment and threw himself to Jesus. Verse 8 says, and the other disciples came in the little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits. So about 100 and 130 yards, I think, is what the calculation comes out. So other disciples on shore saw that. They went with their boats to help, dragging the net with fishes. Verse 9 says, as soon as, they, as soon as then, as they were come to land, they saw fire of coals there, and the fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus said unto them, bring up the fish which he have caught. I, I, I was talking to my wife, and we were chatting over this, because I always do this. I, I, it's like I preach to her before I preach to the church, just to make sure that I'm not saying something silly. And I said, honey, isn't it amazing that even though the disciples were fishing the night before, they didn't catch anything. They didn't have anything. So where did the fish that were on the coals come from? Why were there already fish on the shore when Jesus asked to come back and bring those fish? Why were they already cooked? Because that was, that was the victory meal that Jesus miraculously made for them. Because Jesus wasn't asking them to produce fruits. Jesus was just asking them to be obedient. They had been fishing all night. They had been working hard. Jesus asked them to cast the net to the right side, and they obeyed. And that was what Jesus was looking for. And to, to, to show them this, to, to cement this into their experience, to their mind, when they got there, there was already fish cooking. There was bread already ready. Jesus was ready to have a meal. Why? Because in that moment, the demonstration of faith by the disciples, the demonstration of obedience was, was the lesson that was being taught in that moment. They were ready now to have dinner with Jesus. They had obeyed Jesus. They didn't tell him no. They said, fine, we'll cast it over. And when they did, the miracle was performed. But there was one, another miracle on the beach where the giver of life, the one who gives bread, the one who gives life, he had already prepared a meal. Church, what I'm saying is, even though there will be fruits in the field, the meal that God has prepared for us is in heaven. We will not rest until we get there to have a meal that has been prepared. It's already ready. We don't have to wait for somebody to cook the fish. We are just working the field. We are working for God to produce, but it's not going to be through our works. When we bring somebody to church, it's not going to be us who transforms them. It'll be God who has that already prepared. It'll be God who already delivers them. It'll be God who shows them, this is what I have already done. When I read that, I said, wow, Jesus just showing us Painting the vision of what our dinner or our, our meal will be with his bride in heaven. It's already prepared. But the key 
is obedience. I wonder what would have happened had the disciples, perhaps rightfully so, told the stranger that they didn't recognize was Jesus, just the stranger, we've, undone, we've already cast the net all night. We've already done the right side. We've already done the left. We're not going to do that again. I wonder what would have happened. Had they gone home empty-handed? Had they gone home without having a meal with Jesus? All because they didn't obey. We, in our walk with God, continue to work, talk, his word. But Jesus is just looking for obedience. When you bury your sins in the water, there is a sign of obedience. Right there, I witnessed a miracle on Monday this week. A young man, troubled young man, gave his life to Jesus. And in a sign of obedience... He recognized who his Savior was. And with that sign, with that just giving of his life to Jesus, Jesus erased all his sins. But it was, this, it was the obedience. It was that first step. As a matter of fact, the young man says, I don't know everything, but I do know this. If I do this, I am washing my sins away. Sometimes it's just the obedience. God calls you to do something and you're fighting with the fruitless or you feel like you're not going anywhere, if Jesus is the one telling you, just obey. Because it's not the fruits that you will give, but it's what he has already prepared. Musicians can join me on the platform. And I want to conclude with this. There are a couple of disciples in this story that were named, specifically named, by the word of God. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel, the two sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, and there were other disciples that were unnamed. But I'm going to focus on the four that were named. Sometimes, church, because I felt like this before, I feel just not equipped. I feel like, and Sister Leslie, man, what an awesome lesson. When God sends you to do something, he will equip you. But sometimes we feel like we're not the right person for the job. Sometimes we're like, it can't be me. I complain. I, <laughs> I do all of these things. But look at this. Thomas. Thomas was a skeptic. Thomas was commonly referred to as the doubting Thomas because he initially doubted the resurrection of Jesus until he saw and touch Jesus. If you want to read in John 20, 24 through 21, you read this, this, this encounter where Thomas literally asked Jesus, if it's really him, I, I want to feel. And Jesus is like, you're busted because come feel. This is. If someone could doubt Jesus but still be an apostle and be used in a great way, I'm telling you right now, there isn't a flaw that you have that Jesus can't overlook or correct and do for his kingdom. Thomas also had pessimism. Thomas was known for being a pessimistic outlook. As evidenced by this, his response to Jesus, uh, his plan going to Judea, where the Jews had previously sought to stone him. You can read that in John 11, 7 to, uh, 16. Thomas also resigned or had resignation. Thomas seemed resigned to a grim of fate when he expressed willingness to die with Jesus rather than believing in Jesus' resurrection. 
kind of like, I'll go with you and I'll die with you instead of realizing you're going to come back and you're going to save us and you're our savior. Nathaniel, he was prejudiced. Nathaniel initially expressed skepticism about Jesus' identity. You can find that in John 1, 45 through 46. He was judgmental. He had limited perspective. These aren't perfect people. Simon Peter was impulsive. Peter often enacted on it. He enacted on impulse, such as when he cut off the ear to the high priest. How many of us are sometimes impulsive? And be like, I'm just going to go do it. <laughs> that, one, that one hurt me because that's kind of like me. Simon Peter was also fearful. Peter famously denied knowing Jesus three times. Have you ever been asked if you know Jesus? And you said, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Have you ever felt pressured into denying your faith? Have you ever felt like it was uh, not the popular thing to do? I have. I, I did it in school. I feel ashamed of doing it, but I am not perfect. I'm a broken person who God put together and redeemed. Because, again, God utilizes just common folk, common people to do miraculous things. As you stand with me this morning, there's been a lot of things that our church has been doing differently lately. We've had praise in the park. We've done a free box lunch where we give out to the community. And sometimes there is just a burden of like, is this going anywhere? I'm here to tell you that it's not up to us to do that measure but it's up to him for us just to obey. We just allow God to work through us. If we just obey his word, God will be the one to bring the miracle. He will make the way. As the worship team leads us into another worship, why don't you this morning just begin to thank God for everything he's done, but also to allow him to instill a further grip on faith a further grip on obeying his word and for him to take us to another level. It's not up to us to measure the growth, to measure the fruits, but it's up to us to obey his word. He will bring the victory. The dinner is already served. We are just working through the field and through his word. Amen.